Welcome to Joanna and the Maestro. Hello, Maestro. Hello, and welcome to this tiny mini episode of Joanna and the Maestro. Stephen, what is your favourite note? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) And why is it your favourite? Play play your favourite note on the piano now. No, no, because, look, look, the truth is that if... (laughs) Sorry. I can't compute this question because a D in 2023 is a completely different sound from the D that would have been heard in Mozart's time because pitch is completely different. So I don't know. <laughs> so if I, I say, oh, I like a B flat, well... <laughs> so it, on its it, own, is a note anything on its own? No. OK, that's no. the end of the well, well, Thank you so much. Thanks no, for no, listening to no, Joanna and the Maestro. But, 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 on certain instruments... Mm. Now there's an interesting thing. On a cello, for example, the note to love is when when they play the lowest note. The lowest string is tuned to a C. And when they play that note... Open. Open string, and if it's tuned correctly, it's got the most fantastic ring. And, of course, I love the way that pianos, particularly right at the bottom... Most pianos, not the big Bersendorfers, which have a ridiculous extension of a third, but on most pianos, it's a B-flat and an A at the bottom. If you play those in octaves, it's heavenly. Now, you see, who couldn't love that? No. So a B-flat in the lower octave on the piano, that'll do. Maestro, I've got a question for you from James. He's just written James. Pretty nice, quite a lot of them. One of the most popular boys' names. In Britain for a long time. Not anymore. It's gone, James. My old man introduced me to the trout when I was little at the Grange and Uncle B's triple. Now, can you explain what those mean? You mean Schubert's trout quintet, don't you? Yes, based on the based on the song called The Trout. And Uncle B's triple? Yeah, that well, that's gonna be Ludwig van Beethoven's triple concerto. Okay. This is very sort of inner kind of talk. That's a fantastic piece. But he says, James says, what other quartets, quintets am I missing that will bring tears to my eyes and make the hairs on my arms stand on end? <laughs> he loves these pieces. Isn't that lovely? You're not asking a lot there, are you? No, just <laughs> what other music is there in the world, James, that's very lovely? <laughs> well, in, in terms of chamber music, I'm delighted you picked out the trout because that's, that, what is that, a piano, is it a, a quintet, yes. Well, there are two piano quintets that I really must recommend to you. Mozart's Quintet for Piano and Woodwind Instruments is a divine piece. It's got such innocence and life and beauty about it. I love that particularly. And then, of course, there's the Beethoven Piano Quintet in E-flat. Lovely last movement. I can't do it from this angle. Beethoven. He was just suspended by his heels from the from the sort of ceiling <laughs> light there. You, so they're both in E flat. Interestingly, that's interesting, isn't it? Both for piano and wind. That's a must. Is that enough to be going yes, on? Yes, that's with? lovely. James is grateful for that because he's got another question. 
And this is rather a harsher one. Why are there so few great women composers and indeed musicians? Obviously, the great Clara Schumann, Clara Husky. Is that Husky? Haskill? I don't know. Actually. Jacqueline Dupre, you know more than us, James. Clara Haskill, Jacqueline Dupre being the exceptions, plus my new BFF, Sol. I literally don't understand what you're talking about. But no. did Sony Philip Naxos et al. gravitate towards the males? Why were the women left out and who are they? Good grief. I know, he's just furious. Well, the, no, no, but you're missing out on a few things. Actually, on Sunday, I did a recital with the wonderful B.B. Heal, and we did songs by Clara Schumann and Fanny Mendelssohn, who was also a very good composer, Mendelssohn's sister. They were both really terrific, skilled, inventive. Now, there was a social thing going on here because neither Clara Schumann, Clara Schumann, by the way, was a wonderful pianist, and she was regarded highly as a pianist. But there was a kind of a social thing, we all know about it, that men were always going to be in the driving seat. And anyway, we don't need to go into that. But there are now lots of women composers. In fact, our master of the king's music, spelt with a C-K at the end of it, is Judith Weir, an old friend of mine. And she's had a very successful career composing. She and I were percussionists together in the National Youth Orchestra. She's a wonderful composer, written operas, all sorts of works. And indeed, she's, she's really, really an important composer in this generation. So is Sally Beamish. And so is Debbie Wiseman. Yes, Debbie Wiseman. There are many, many more women composers who are right at the top of the tree now, I'm happy to say. As far as musicians go, I think it's pretty even Stevens now. I think there are just as many great women soloists. I mean, I, you, honestly, the names would just come out of me like a waterfall. Ida Hendel, one of the most wonderful violinists. Well, Nicola you, Benedetti, kind of famous beyond words. And Sophie Mutter, a violinist, fantastic. It goes on and Evelyn on and on. Glennie on drums. And we talked to Anna Lapwood the other day. So you've just got to look for them. And there's a real thing going on at the moment, just as an example. The BBC are now really promoting women composers quite fully now. As politicians always say, there's still a lot to do. But be assured, it's a pretty even playing field now. Thank you. What I love about you talking about music is that you always talked about the great divas, the great singers, that they are great musicians. So into this mix, we can add singers, women singers who are musicians, because they are musicians. Their instrument is their voice, but they have just as much musical knowledge, wouldn't you say? Oh, yes, absolutely. So Teachers, once you put in some of, these, some of the greatest names in the history of music, names like Callas and divas like this. Yes, and Joan Sutherland. Sutherland and, and, and Janet and, and, Baker and, 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 and all that goes on yes, and on. Yes, yes. Of all the great, great singers. yes. So yes. they're musicians as well, James. James, you have been very nice. Thank you for being quite so furious on our behalf, the what I used to call the gentle sex. And now, Maestro, we have a question from France. It's from Gilly, who might be Gilly, but it might be Gilly. Greetings to you both. I'd like to ask you a question about opera. What do you think of directors who change the actual story of an opera? Many years ago, I saw Tosca at my local theatre here in France. Musically, it was fine and it was staged nicely all very traditional and nothing untoward until the end. They shot Tosca. This I couldn't bear. What do you think? Now, as we know, Tosca jumps to her death, suicide, she jumps, and they shot her. What do you think of that? It's very, very difficult, actually, 
with uh, directors who want to change the story. The way we framed it last time was to look at these two terms, regitheater and das Konzept, which are two different things. One changes the story and the other focuses on an element that they've picked out of the story to the damage of the rest. Now, I'm not surprised you were shocked to see Tosca shot Although if you'd never seen the opera, maybe you could believe it. But for me, that actually, it really doesn't work. She's supposed to commit suicide, as I think you know. Having said that, I mean, I would also be slightly shocked because it's Cavradossi that is supposed to be shot. And it is at her wit's end and sees nothing in her life worth living for. Because Cavradossi is her lover. Yes, and throws herself off the ramparts. So I wouldn't like that. I have to say that that's not the worst sort of bowdlerization of a plot that I've, that I've ever seen. The things that I find really difficult are when a composer simply refuses to engage with what the music is adding to the story, because don't let anyone forget, opera is a story told through music. So if a director ignores the music, and I've worked with some directors who say, oh, pay no attention to the music. The real drama is this, and explains what they want. But saying, ignore the music. Well, to a musician and a singing artist, that's maddening because they've learned the entire role through the music mm. and using the text as an, an, a partner. So you can't separate them out. I agree. It's frustrating, and conductors really wrestle with this. On the other hand, there are wonderful directors who will be able to shine new light on an opera whilst still loving and respecting what the composer is doing with the music. Julie, there we are. I would have been furious if they'd shot Tosca because I think that somebody who gives up her life then because she loved her lover so much and he's shot in front of her is quite different from her then just being shot by the same people. So awful, Jilly. I'm on your side. What was the last opera we both saw together? And can we give us a short review of it? And it's not including an opera Stephen has conducted, please. Well, that rules it out because Stevie's conducted, what, a hundred and something operas? Well, well, what, performances? No, but you've conducted many, many, many operas. So yes. an opera that you haven't conducted is very rare. So well, the one that yeah, you aren't mm. conducting, I'd like to suggest that we went to Glyndebourne and saw yes, The Rake's did. Progress. Yeah, wonderful. Which it, you have conducted in the past, both at Glyndebourne. Yes, and, and in the in original that production. It was the David Hockney production. Beautiful. Which is coming up for, what, good grief. A long time. 50 years. Yes. And you were a very young man and you conducted it down at Glyndebourne. Yes. It was jolly interesting, actually, for me. Yes. And you and I have seen The Rake's Progress. You came to see me conduct The Rake, I think, yeah. Before we were married. I think I did. Um, on tour. What did you think? I thought it was stunning. Musically, you, of course, would have always would be aware of how slightly differently the conductor's doing it. But there it was on the stage, which with much the same, the same beautiful David Hockney, sort of red, green and black and blue Pentel kind of drawings on the yeah, background. Fantastic. A fantastic staging. Revolutionary, really. John the great... Cox did the production. John did Cox did it, and David Hockney was there yes. in his, all his fabulous clothes, smoking like a chimney. It was sensational. But it was, for me, absolutely thrilling to see it with you, but sitting beside you rather I than... I loved it, too. I knew of a couple of the singers. The rest I didn't know at all. So that was really, really lovely to see 
different artists doing it. And Robin Ticciati conducted it in a way that at first I thought, good God, is that possible? Because he did it looking at it in a neoclassical way, in sort of Mozartian style. And some of his tempi were so fast that at first I thought, whoa, can you really do that? But he could do it and he did do it. He's, he's a rather wonderful conductor. So it sounded completely different to me. It was an eye-opener, and the singers were marvellous, and John Cox, of course, who uh, directed it yet again. I could feel the, their minds at work. Mm. It was a classic production and wonderfully sung and wonderfully played the LPO, who must have that piece in their blood by now. They've played it so often at Glymore. Now, Rhea from Sandbanks has written to you, Maestro, and she says, Igor Stravinsky wrote his famous Rite of Spring in 1913 at the age of 31. He didn't die until 1971. But you could argue that the Rite of Spring is his most famous work, and therefore kind of his best work. My question for the Maestro is this, are composers like chess players or mathematicians at their best when they're young? Are they at their best when they're young? No. No, I don't think you could say that because as a composer grows and matures, they begin to follow slightly new paths. It's a very interesting thing to look at Mozart, who probably died far too young, 36, I think. He probably died at the peak of his powers. If you consider that he'd just written the wonderful 40th Symphony and then The Jupiter, number 41... I wonder at the loss of all the great music that someone of Mozart's calibre would have gone on to write. And then if you consider that Beethoven did live into relative old age, into his 50s, and the music he was writing at the end of his life was revolutionary. This was an, an older man having written some of the most beautiful, youthful music and mature music. But in his latter years was writing music that pointed absolutely like an arrow into the future. Revolutionary music. And look at Verdi. I don't think it's arguable. His two greatest operas, Otello and Falstaff, were written in his 80s. Gosh. Now, the other thing you say... And Richard Strauss? Richard Strauss. Look at the difference between operas like Salome and Electra, which were his revolutionary works, which made such a stir and still do and then compare them with, with his last opera, Capriccio, or Metamorphosen, written in memoriam of Dresden after the bombing. You can see the effects of maturity, the mellow nature of the four last songs. There's a purity in Strauss's later music and a simplicity and innocence that a young man couldn't find. Now, I grant you, Mendelssohn wrote his octet when I th think he was 17. Now that's a great work. But there were still works like Elijah to come and the five symphonies, the Reformation, the fifth symphony, later on in his life. Wonderful, wonderful, deep pieces of maturity. In Stravinsky's case, I would argue that something that is perhaps his most famous work does not necessarily imply that it's his greatest work. That was Stravinsky also being revolutionary after he'd written those extraordinary works, The Firebird, which was very romantic, and The Rite of Spring blew everybody's wigs off, literally. 
in the auditorium. They were fighting, as you know. But he then went on to write music in several more different styles. Neoclassical works, the Rake's Progress, smaller orchestra, smaller framework, utterly, utterly beautiful. And, of course, in his older age, he was writing some of his most deeply religious works. So I think composers are probably more like writers of great literature whose work it develops during their life. And they look at different paths, different ways of expressing things. Ria, I hope that's helped you in some way. I have a feeling the answer is this. Some may be, some may be not. So it's, you know, anyway. But many thanks to you, Maestro, for elaborating on Thank that. Thank you for rounding me off. If your life was a piece of music, what would it be and why? Why do, why, why do people... Try to answer the try... question, Maestro. <laughs> but a piece of music is a minitesimal part of music and of, of life. So it's an aspect so I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure what you're getting at with the question. Well, I'm getting at a piece of mu- if somebody plays a piece of music, and you could go, "Oh, that's Stevie's life rolled up in one." <gasps> you can't do it, can you? You can choose something huge. I don't know what my life is. So how can I? I, I know what a piece of music is. I think you're dodging the bullet here. What's the question? Try and sum up your life in a piece of music. Schubert's Impromptu in A flat. Well, that's a very pretty piece of music that one can listen to many, many times and enjoy. Well, there we are. Okay, that can be my answer, if we've got to give an answer. Otherwise, we're going to remain in these shackles, trying to sort through these unbelievably difficult questions. Actually, that was a sweet thing, wasn't it? If your life was in a song, do you know what it would be? My life, in my whole life. Don't get so angry, just say something. Oh, I don't know. Tom Waits, the old 55. How about that? (laughs) Mine would be Elvis Presley, are you lonesome tonight? And my answer would be Elvis, no, I'm not, because I'm with you. 